Welcome to this week's episode of Tech Talk. I'm your host, Michael Amorgan. And this week, we don't have any of our co-hosts, so it's just going to be me this week. Uh, but fret not, fret not. We do have an interesting set of topics to talk on today. But the starters, uh, we're going to be actually talking about something called WPA3. Now, WPA3 is a little, it sounds off the wall, it sounds like a bunch of tech jargon. And so to get to that, I want to give you a brief history into the world of wireless and wireless connections. More so because, well, when we actually deal with wireless, we are typically connecting to uh, some service, some connection, some router somewhere. And so we have different levels of that. We have the ones that you have at home. We have public Wi-Fi hotspots, so on and so forth. So let's let's break it down and start at the ground level. You have an open wireless connection that anyone could connect to. This is known as an unsecure network. Uh, pretty much anyone can get onto it. Uh, they can mess around with it if they want to. Uh, at present, this is seen as a very unsecure network for several different reasons. One, you're allowing anyone to connect to your network, and that means that they can use whatever they want on your network to connect to anything else. They can be downloading illegal information, uh, pictures, videos, downloads, whatever it is. They can do it on your network, and your ISP or your internet service provider will essentially see it as you doing it because it is your network. You are allowing people to connect to it. So uh, this is otherwise known as not a good situation to really have unless you trust everyone that's connecting to you. Now, you do have people that will open up their network and then you have to log in with a guest password or uh, register your use your email address or something like that, something that they can then grab your MAC address or the address that your device, your laptop, your smartphone, your computer, your whatever, even your tablets or uh, essentially whatever it is that you're connecting to their network would then have that one MAC address. It's a very unique address. And so if they tie that device to your email address or to any personal information, they can then say, well, it wasn't us that was doing it. It was this person that was doing it. And then that's how they can kind of get out of that. Now, if you don't have that and you wanted to lock down your network, the original first step was something called WEP which was one of the lesser forms of uh, protection. Now, hey there, got your 6MS. Now, if you had WEP, this was not great. Like, this was one of the worst things you could probably have, but it was the best thing at the time. Uh, then came WPA. Uh, or otherwise now known as WPA1, since that was the first iteration of it. So we then had something that was slightly better than WEP because that was easily crackable. WPA1 wasn't necessarily that much better, but it provided a little bit more performance and security. A few years after that, then WPA2 came out and that allowed for a better encryption, more security, it's a little bit harder to crack. Um, up to now, there still aren't 
it's still one of the most strongest things, but it still opens up a wide area of in insecurities. So for example, even on WPA2, uh, if someone connects to you, they aren't necessarily secured because it's all on the network itself. Still, um, it's still brute forceable. Uh, and it's also very difficult to add stuff to it because that doesn't have a means to say type in a password. You would essentially have, for example, a Google Home or Alexa or uh, some other device. You would necessarily need Sorry, to. I don't know how to help with that. I'm pretty sure I didn't say the key phrase for that, but okay. Um. You would essentially need to connect it to your smartphone using an app and then allow it to connect and pull the wireless information from your the, from your smartphone so that it can connect. Yeah, I I don't know what happened with that just now, Nelly. <laughs> that was that was a little weird. That was just a little weird. But uh yeah. So we have that happening. And then we have it where, you know, yes, there's even an enterprise side of it, and it's still not quite what we want. So, here comes this big bad thing. Well, actually, it's not so bad. It's called uh, WPA3. It's about 14 years since the last update to wireless. And so it's it's been a long, long time coming, I guess you could say. Uh which, you know, isn't a bad thing. It's definitely something that's been needed for a while. Especially when it's it's something pertaining to security and it's been there for over a decade. Yeah, you're going to want to start to take a look at updating that. So, we have WPA3. And now that I've brought you a little bit more up to standard, uh, or up to snuff, I guess you could say, it's essentially takes it to that step further so whereas wpa2 would have been the way that your device could connect to the router and perform like a little handshake to say hey nice to meet you i'm so and so uh this would then take it up a step you know okay are you really this person like can i see your credentials like let me see your id that's essentially what wpa3 is taking into effect now so what are these things on a whole they're pretty much just hardware certifications essentially and hopefully if your device gets an update technically speaking your wpa2 device so your router that you're currently using could technically get wpa3 but not every device will likely get that the reason for that is one not all devices are currently up-to-dated by the manufacturers, which kind of sucks. But not only that, sometimes there are certain hardware things that will prevent it. So, for example, um, to actually become uh, WPA certified, there are certain things that it will require the hardware manufacturer, so your router provider, uh, would need to actually have built in and updated to this particular thing before they could say, okay, great. Now, what are these things? 
and these things are actually set by a, a, an alliance of sort uh essentially the wi-fi alliance the, or the industry group that defines these standards hasn't explained in a whole lot of detail like technical detail we do have an a, a broad explanation of what they're looking for that would be privacy on public wi-fi networks so the issue that we had with open wi-fi where pretty much anyone and everyone is able to grab onto someone else see here's the thing with open wi-fi as well technically everything you do on it is unsecure so those whatsapp well it's say you're sending a, a picture or you are sending an email technically someone else on that unsecured network could pull that information from the network and get it on their own device so it's, unless it's an already encrypted service then it becomes public domain essentially not great so with this it's essentially encrypting each and every connection to the router so even if you're on that open network it, it would be a straight connection and even if someone tries to get onto it they will not be able to really much read what it is so for example and for an explanation of what encryption is encryption pretty much jumbles up what it is that you're doing online and so when you have this one-on-one -on -one connection and it's encrypted and someone tries to pull it all they see is this jumbled mess and they're not able to really find out what it is that you're doing on there granted sure uh there are things like https websites or secured websites but essentially people can still see which websites you're going to and view what it is if it doesn't only be on https for example if we wanted to go to google.com uh we it would be a https site but we could try to force it to http which it wouldn't want to do but it would still have to provide that information so if you're doing a google search or something let's say porn uh someone there will be able to see exactly what kind of porn you want to look at it's kind of like that so that's one element of it which is good that they're actually working on and good that wpa3 is going to fix this so the next thing is protection against brute force attacks so essentially this is when someone is trying to gain access into the uh, access point so you have a password on it they are then going to try and decipher what your password is now this is what really met made wep wpa1 really insecure because they were really really easy to brute force and essentially gain access to once that was done um so even with wpa2 the handshake or the connection to say hey i'm so and so you're so and so hey nice to meet you from smart from whatever device you're using to the router it is easily crackable with wpa2 using a vulnerability called the crack attack which was developed back in 2017 last year um so there is already a means to get past that and that's not great so you don't really want people getting onto your network that you don't want on your network 
if you have a secure network that is so yeah wpa3 fixes that and technically technically wpa2 could be fixed if they do a soft if they do an upgrade on that as well but again they haven't updated it in 14 years so chances are they're probably just going to switch wpa3 so with this new handshake that wpa3 does it's essentially asking for that id card i mentioned earlier where it will quote unquote deliver robust protections even when users choose passwords that fall short of typical complexity recommendations aka having capital letters lowercase numbers sometimes symbols and at least eight characters or more now if you do that or even if you just have your password set to i love mom this is going to make it even harder to crack into that than before even if you were using the same password before just because of how the protocol is set how the encryption is actually handling it so it's going to protect against those brute force attacks now that's not to say given enough time they won't be able to get it but it will take much 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 longer to actually have this done and here's the thing the guy who created the crack attack for wpa2 back in 2017 he's actually excited about wpa3 because of how difficult it is to get into that's something to keep in mind hey mr one nice to well glad you can join us this time <laughs> now the next thing about wpa3 remember how i was talking about you know having to have those smart app smartphone applications to connect things like your uh, alexa your siri well your home pod your google home i'm gonna make sure that's not gonna pick up on my thing um exactly omega it's it's food for thought so instead of having to require an app just to connect your smart device to your wireless network wpa3 does something interesting and it's it's bringing well, wireless and this seems very weird when you really think about it but it's bringing the wireless industry to our current standards it, it kind of is like what wireless this is this is new this is what we use like this is something that's already modern like what what are you talking about no this is <laughs> it's actually something that you know is it's needed and so things like that things like smart outlets light bulbs uh essentially you, it has a feature that promises to quote unquote simplify the process of configuring security for devices that have a limited or no display interface now we're not exactly sure how this is going to work not exactly, but it could be a lot like today's Wi-Fi protect protected setup feature, which involves just simply pressing a button from the router. So if you have a router and it has a little like swirly set of arrows and you press that, there are some devices that can automatically connect if you press the button on those devices as well. And it would automatically pair your router to that device and presto. Now, that's one of the hardware things about it so if your device doesn't have it that might be a problem or it could be you know something that you enable from 
setup. So you may still need to use setup. Uh, <laughs> Juan, I'm not sure what you mean by WPS. It, explain that one for me. And Omega, yeah, it's... <laughs> well, actually, Wi-Fi printers aren't that bad if you do it right. The fact that some Wi-Fi printers create their own Wi-Fi network that shows up, that's confusing. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, unless, like, the only time that I think that that should actually be there is when you're trying to troubleshoot it. And mm, chances are most times you shouldn't be having to troubleshoot your wireless printer. But getting back to WPA3, and that little button uh the current setup which is the wi-fi protected setup has its own security problems so if this can take over that chances are it'll wipe that clear and we can move on and be a lot more secure in that aspect as well um the next thing is higher security for government defense and industrial applications now, this isn't one that we, the regular consumers, should be really interested in unless we're taking a look at the security of these organizations or uh, governments or stuff like that. Oh, that's what you meant. Yes, WSP, Wi-Fi Protected Setup. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about. So, the Wi-Fi Alliance also announced, you know, that WPA3 will introduce a 192-bit security suite aligned for the Commercial National Security Logarithm, or the CSNA, uh, from the Committee of the Na on National Security Systems, and it's intended mainly for those government defense and industri industrial applications. Um, again, this is more so for things like U.S. national security, governments, stuff like that. Hey, uh... Back Horizon 8837, welcome. Hey, I see Pandora, welcome back. How are you? Wait. No, I don't think. Actually, I think you're new, I see. How are you doing? Um, now, as to the question as to when this will actually come into play, well, Qualcomm is already making chips for it. And as you know, Qualcomm is the wi-fi chip provider for a lot of devices that are coming out on the market especially smartphones and tablets so if they're already building out for that then you know you the chances are your next device is probably going to have it built in thanks for the follow back horizon now that being said it'll take a while for them to be integrated into new devices so yeah, say like the neck the later on 2018, maybe 2019. <laughs> Thank you, I see Pandora. Uh I like my hair too. But um yeah, so you'll likely see these things starting in late 2018. And sadly, the Wi-Fi Alliance hasn't really announced anything. Thank you for the follow, I see Pandora. Um anything about existing devices receiving it um but we don't the thing is not a whole lot of people are expecting that many devices will receive software and firmware updates to support it 
um, though theoretically they can just create the software and update it um, and add those features into existing routers like I mentioned earlier but they then again have to go through the trouble of applying for and receiving the certification for their existing hardware before even rolling it out and more than likely a lot of sub manufacturers will just spend that time on new devices for the next year yes back horizon i do play games and i do play them and i stream them from time to time um i think it was just earlier this well it was either earlier this week or late last week i was playing dead sorry dying light with some of my co-hosts um we did have someone that wanted to join but they joined really really late and so we ended up having to end the session without them actually joining hey ashley <laughs> i'm glad you could join us um so even when you get your wpa3 enabled router though you still need to have wpa3 compatible client devices and essentially your laptop your smartphone your uh smart tv your uh home assistant all of those will need to have to be wpa3 consistent otherwise it'll be running on wpa2 which is again not something that you want to do but once all of your devices do then you can just turn off wpa2 and switch directly just to wpa3 and improve your security much the same way that you could disable wpa or wep and just connect to wpa2 omega a software available update is not available just yet this is something that they just recently announced so i wouldn't really expect any updates until maybe late 2018 roughly around the same time we'd be getting the hardware devices back horizon i've had that issue on mixer before where the stream is skipping i'm not sure what's causing it if you would like I do also stream on YouTube at youtube.com slash more cookies, M-O-A-R-C-O-O-K-I-E-S. You can watch it there. I hear that that plays it just fine. Also, it's on Twitch at the exact same thing, twitch.com, um, sorry, twitch.tv slash uh, more cookies. So you can, you can try watching it on there. I know it's not ideal moving you from Mixer, but I, I do need to talk to them and try to figure out what's happening with that. um so once we get this new more secure wireless whirling out this would be great yeah that's exactly what i was saying Juan. thank you omega um wps is not really secure like you can <laughs> he's saying that you can hack into wife with wps enabled with the small free apps oh i think he meant wi-fi with wps enabled with small free apps on android google play store so yeah there's there is that um so the next thing that i wanted to talk on is actually something that we haven't really heard about all that much for a few years now and that thing is firefox yeah like the internet has mainly gone either using safari chrome or microsoft edge so that's kind of there but um firefox used to be the king of the browser industry 
it, it blew away Internet Explorer. It blew away Chrome. It blew away Safari. It was it was the de facto go to uh, Internet browser. Oh, Opera as well. Opera was definitely king for a while, especially with all of its features. Um, but then a shift happened and Firefox started to get really bloated. It started to get really sluggish. It used up way too much memory back then. And so people started to move over to Chrome, which was seen as the new lightweight version of Internet Exploring. And sure enough, over the past few months, Firefox has been slowly but surely making these incremental but very important updates to your internet to your internet browsing experience and its latest one i think highlights that even more so for example it has several different features something from faster tab switching using something uh well, I'll break it down a little bit further. For starters, Firefox 61, and currently right now, yes, 62 is in beta. I got the update notification for that today. Um, but 61, which is the current public version of Firefox, gives developers more freedom when creating extensions as well. Now, it's possible for extensions to hide tabs, uh, and manage how the browser behaves when tabs are open and closed. So this is something very similar to what happens in Chrome. If you have the uh, extension, so this is not built in. This is actually requiring an extension uh, called the Great Suspender, which will, after a while, turn off whatever tab it is. It doesn't hide the tab. It actually turns off the tab, and you have to refresh the page to essentially get back to that page. But you won't lose the page if you wanted to like keep it up in your tab windows. So if you want to see this in action, you can check out an extension for Firefox called Hide Tabs. And yeah, it's an extension for there as well. But it Firefox is now enabling it to happen. And it's handy if you're using a video streaming site to play music in the background. Because instead of actually doing what Great Spender does, this quite literally just makes the tab disappear so it's not going to show up you can still listen to whatever it is and then if you want to open the use the extension make it show up again close it out or you know use it to hide netflix when your boss is around i'm not i'm not suggesting that but so the real thing that changed everything was something called quantum sorry firefox quantum and this is what they really wanted to show off to enhance, show off all the enhancements that they'd done to make things get better. So it had better security um, and new features. There were uh, features such as screenshots, which uh, Mozilla, the parent company of Firefox, trialed in its test pilot um, under the name of PageShot. There was uh, new security features on the hood, including improved sandboxing. I am not suggesting that, Ashley. I am not. But I mean, you could if you wanted to, but I'm not suggesting watching Netflix. Um, a sandboxing essentially allows you to keep things contained. Think of an actual sandbox. It's a wall with sand inside of it. 
typically speaking, you don't throw the sand outside. Everything stays inside the box, and that's how it's supposed to be. You build up what you want inside the box, you break it down. It doesn't leave the box. So that's what sandboxing typically is. And so uh, Firefox with Quantum improved upon that. And they even improved upon the user interface. So it's now simpler to use. And all the security information appears in one place. Not only that, but one of its most impressive features was all the extensions that it had. Like quite literally, like you could go ham on it. And a lot of these have had major overhauls to make them run faster for quantum. Um, and rather than having free reign to do whatever they like, like, and use up a whole bunch of your memory, authors now, or developers essentially, now have a more tightly controlled set of knobs to turn via a newly implemented uh, developer AI. Some, I mean, sorry, API. Uh, essentially what allows them to connect and use Firefox for what they actually make with their stuff. So essentially, this means that all of your old, old extensions may no longer be working because they now may be legacy unless they've been updated to work. Now, there was a the whole thing about speed as well. And you know, that's part of it. They, they improved with all of this, they improved on speed, the switching tabs and its memory uh, hogging, I guess you could say. So even with the version that is right before it, it was twice as fast as the version that, um, that came out just before. So at that point, they were making statements saying that, you know, the point where they were was as fast or faster than Chrome. And compared to a year ago, that's a huge leap in performance back then in late 2017. So now we have 61 coming out and it's it's bringing up some interesting things much like tab warming like i mentioned uh faster tab switching more flexible search options so you can not just have to search on bing or google you quite literally search on a bunch of other search platforms as well now it can also warm up tabs and i've mentioned this a little bit with the tab warming thing by preemptively loading them when you hover over them so for example let's say you wanted to open up your gmail inside of another tab you switch back to a tab and you're waiting for that and so that kind of shuts down a little bit to save on the memory and so when you hover your mouse over it and you're ready to click it'll start to load everything back up so by the time you've clicked over everything's going to be updated and you don't really have to wait for it anymore so it's really good if you're the kind of person that opens up a dozen types of tabs and just like kind of leaves them there for a little bit and they also added something else called retained display lists, which essentially just speeds up page loading by remembering elements like backgrounds, text, and borders. So it doesn't have to be completely loaded from scratch every time you revisit a page. So even if you close out a page, come back, it'll say, okay, well, these are all the information from before. Let's load them up. Bada bing, bada boom. You're here much faster than you were the first time. And you can add custom search engines now as well. So even if one is missing, you can still add them in with one click. So all you need to go is to do is go to the appropriate site, click in the page actions button in the search bar and click add search engine. One, I'll be quite honest, that's kind of me too at times. Um, 
especially when I have like a bunch of anime that I want to watch or a bunch of news articles that I want to read. I will sometimes just like throw them open to say, I'm going to watch these today. I end up not watching all of them. Or these are all the articles that I'm going to read. And I end up reading like six of 24 of them. And I'm like closing them down as I slowly go through them. Uh, ideally, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't, I don't want to have so many things open, but I still do. And it, it's a little... Uh, how should I put it? Secret of mine, I guess you could say. Like, I, I, it's a shameful secret. Like, I, I do not like being this way, but I still am. So it's kind of, yeah, I do that. I do that. But I think one of the most important things that no other browser I, that comes to mind is actually built in. There's a company or a website, I should say, called um, how should I put it? If you go to a website like Have You Been Pwned or, you know, somewhere that essentially tells you if your email and password combination has been compromised, let's say you went on a website and they got hacked and then your information got leaked. Essentially, this website, or there's a few of them, actually, if you type in your email address, it will say, oh, well, yeah, we noticed that you were included in this breach on this date or from this website. It'll tell you if it's like made public or not and so on and so forth. It's beneficial to have. There are tools that will sometimes, um, if it's big enough, uh, say, you know, you won't want to change your password, especially if they're a password manager. They'll probably give you a little bit of a warning or a heads up. What Firefox has done is they've actually integrated with that website, which typically gets some of this information firsthand. And so as soon as that's updated, Essentially, Firefox is also going to be like, hey, we noticed you use this email address. This actually just got recently breached. You may want to check your password on this particular website and update it. Which I think is awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. Essentially, so from looking at this image here, when you open it up, it, it's opening up as Firefox monitor. And... It's its own little website, essentially. It's a lo something local. And so it says, protect yourself from hackers. Start here. The first step to keeping your online account safe is knowing what you're up against. Find out if your accounts have been compromised. You enter your email address and click search. Your email, And then in small text, it says, your email address will not be stored. Find out more on our privacy policy. But right on the right-hand side of it, they say signups for alerts. So get an alert if your account information is compromised. So I think that is where they will be able to say you can put in your stuff and we'll give you notification. Um, one, typically how that uh, database gets its information is that they're always looking for breaches. Uh, more so not actually them breaching, 
But to find out if anyone is like in the dark web or anywhere like that saying, hey, well, we just hacked this website. Here's a bunch of email addresses and possible passwords. Or here's the email addresses and the hashed passwords. Hash being uh, essentially a form of encryption so that your passwords aren't seen in plain text, which is some what some websites do, which is really, really bad. So if you're a website developer, please don't ever leave your stuff in plain text. Actually salt them, hash them, make sure that they are protected. Because um, you don't want people just getting everyone's information. That's just bad business. So that's essentially what's happening there. And essentially, uh mozilla which is firefox again and cloudflare are have kind of worked as into this as well so sorry one moment um so the company that they're really working with is have i been pwned which is the same website i talked about or h-i-b-p and firefox isn't the only one that's working with them um it's also one password which is a password manager extension they are also working with have i been pwn now uh essentially have i been pwn is a free online tool that sorry uh was built by a security expert and it lets you enter your email, like I said, and it'll do what I said. So the fact that you have companies and extensions and whatnot that now actually tying into this database is great. And I'm actually hoping that Have I Been Pwned does this more with other password managers or that other password managers feel free to reach out to Have I Been Pwned to make sure that their customers stay, well, secure. I think that's that's the biggest picture right there. Hey, dope 2003. Welcome to the stream. Now, one password has a service called Watchtower now, which will do pretty much the same thing. It'll tell you whether it's been hacked with the same help and uh, give you a breach report, which will then give fixed suggestions, which will be a new password more than likely. Hey, Eclipse viewer, welcome to the stream. Uh, so I think now that Firefox has that, we may start finding that in Chrome and Opera, to be quite honest. Safari may also get that as well. Eclipse, feel free to ask questions. That's what this entire stream is about. That's why I don't generally do these recorded and just upload them on YouTube or anything like that. They're actually part of you know engagement having people talk and actually having a discussion about things so shoot um now once that's done and this will actually also tell you how many breaches your email address has been on as well so for example if a bunch of different places have been breached with your email address it'll let you know and so you can go to each one of those sites and fix them scotty bot now scotty bot i actually don't use scotty bot um but i do know that it's a pretty good mixer.com bot uh let me see right now 
you you pretty much will need a computer though like i can tell you that right now at least for certain things on it um especially if you want to do the optional step two right that's that's where making well the gui or the the program will become a lot easier for you to actually control the bot um the best suggestion i can say to you if you're having problems try their discord channel they do have well it's either discord or subreddit i would go there and ask for help with that honestly i could give you links for those let me post them for inside the chat so that's their discord uh crap And Mixer wants to be a little pain. Okay, so that is their Discord. And this is their subreddit. So you can try it there. And hopefully it works out for you. I'm really hoping it does. I know having no bots inside your channel is not the best. So good luck with that. Now, the next update that I wanted to talk about is Google Maps. This is something that we kind of touched on in a few episodes ago, back when we were talking about the Google Developer Conference or Google I.O. I think it will eclipse. I think it will help. Um, they, they should have support inside the Discord. They should have a support channel there as well. Thanks for following. They should have a support channel inside there. So just jump inside there. Let them know what you've done so far. What's the issue like that is not working with your commands. And they'll be able to, able to help you figure it out. You may need to disconnect it and then reconnect it. But they'll be able to help much better. Especially since they actually work with that bot. Now Google Maps has was talking about pretty much making a Yelp. Or TripAdvisor essentially competitor. So somewhere that they already do reviews and ratings and pictures and times and stuff like that. So what's next? It's actually giving suggestions on where to go to eat or where to go to visit stuff. So for example, if I go on my smartphone. Hello there. Uh, try Nick. And not a problem eclipse glad i could help you at least somewhat guide you to where you need to really go and i hope to see you in follow up episodes thank you i appreciate that so if we wanted to go into uh the maps we would just open up the maps up on here and you would see here that they've actually changed up some of the things so we have on here i'm going to show it up on the side Let's see if I can do that. So. There we go. This is essentially what I have on my screen. It has an option for me to pick, pick restaurants, bars, attractions, or more. 
And then it gives suggestions like romantic restaurants, group friendly dining, late night dining, outdoor dining. It has other ones too. Let me check those out. Uh, cheap spots for groups, upscale dinners, food and cocktails, and cheap drinks. Now, if I wanted to click on more, it then gives me options for things like food and drink, restaurants, bars, coffee, delivery, things to do. So attractions, parks, gyms, art, attractions, nightlife, live music, movies, museums, libraries. Um, if I wanted to go even further, then there's like things like shopping, groceries, beauty supplies, car dealers, so on and so forth. Like the list is quite exhaustive. So how does that really benefit me though? Like, sure, that's, that's information that I could use to say, like, if I had a date coming up. So, you know, date, I want it to be a romantic restaurant, so I click on there. And then it gives me some restaurants to choose from. But I've never been to these places. I'm, I'm just checking out, like, okay, so this place is a 3.9 star. It's a certain distance away, and it closes at uh, 10 p.m. So... What they've done is the next thing that's really, really nice. They've actually given these places individual ratings. Actually, you're saying that you use Google Maps for everything. Apple Maps has ended me up in the back of nowhere quite a few times. You know, that's actually something that I've joked about on with my co-host because she is a Apple cheap. She, she admits it though. Like she knows she has a problem with Apple. Um, but Apple has been known to, oh, Apple maps has been known to have problems from its inception and granted over the years, it's gotten much better than it originally was when it first started, but it's still quirky and you know, not everything's on it. For example, quite literally, you have to be on Yelp for it to even show up as a, as a place of business and for the Bahamas, which is where I currently am, you know, it's it's not all places are on Yelp. Most places aren't actually. So that's kind of sad. So if I wanted to, let's say have a dinner somewhere, it gives me the options. It gives me several options. So on this screen, I don't really have a, uh, I don't have much. I can book a room here since it's also a hotel and I can check for availability because it's a hotel. They're currently saying that restaurants will allow bookings soon. And yeah, this is also going along with Google Duplex, which they've currently made public, which we talked about in the last episode and, you know, people calling people and so on and so forth. And, you know, that becoming a thing. But here, I'm guessing because it's a restaurant, it's not giving me a suggestion, even though it's a, sorry, a hotel, even though it's a restaurant as well. So if I go to an actual restaurant, I then get a match percentage. And if I click on that, it's actually basing that information off of a lot of different key factors. One, the kinds of foods that I eat and that are places that I typically go to. Um, so it's using my location. It's checking the places that I've typically checked in at. It's checking for places that I've maybe given reviews for or sent in pictures for. Um, so it's, it's pretty much making this personalized recommendations for me. And you know, it's kind of funny. 
because I actually do not like Social House Sushi all that much. I don't mind their grill, but their sushi kind of sucks. So I typically don't go there. So the fact that it's giving me a 93, I can, I can deal with that. Next up is a one place I have never been before, but I've passed it quite frequently um, because it's right on the way as you're heading downtown. Though I have been curious about trying that before, and I've tried it once doing delivery. How they got the 8%, I'm not 100% sure, but I will admit the sushi from there was not bad. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't bad. So I could see where they would give me an 80% based on my actual findings. So Ashley's saying for those of us living in Nassau, which is the capital of the Bahamas, well, New Providence is the capital. Nassau is a city in New Providence. Um, something like this may not always be reliable considering public pages don't often update certain key information like open and close times and numbers. Um, and see, that's, that's the beauty of Google right there, Ashley, because anyone and everyone can make a suggestion to edit information and actually update it. I've done this personally. I've, I've added businesses, a lot of businesses to the Google maps. I've added pictures. I've added, um, suggestions like locations, uh, phone numbers, times, uh, websites to the fact that I quite literally, uh, I'm quite literally a level seven uh, local guide for Google Maps. So the fact that I'm even there says, you know, people can do a lot with making sure that these things are up to date. Whereas Apple Maps, mm, yeah, you, you're kind of stuck. You can't update anything. Uh, one, they want to know what we eat. Two, knowing when we go offline is not good enough. <laughs> Essentially, what this is, it, you can always turn these kinds of things off by turning off location history and location settings on your mobile device. But it will cause some issues because, you know, you won't have all the functionalities of things. Not only that, you can just not use Google Maps. And so it won't really know where you're looking for, what kinds of places you're looking for, and that kind of thing. And if you're not leaving any reviews or anything like that, then it has even less information to pretty much use. But if you, the thing about Google is if you're searching for places to go and eat, it may pick up on that. So that's another thing. You may want to browse incognito if you're looking up for places to go and eat, if you don't want to match. But in my case, I don't mind because I'm a foodie. So I like to actually try new places. So if we take it to the next place, which is Sakura Sushi, which is a little, not too far from me, um, it's actually 5% up higher and the thing is i actually like this place i've been to it quite often and the sushi there is actually pretty good so i'm kind of surprised it's not more like a 90 or a 95 but maybe it's because i don't search for them often enough because i already know what i want from there so it can only really go based off of uh well me being there actually i'm not sure if i've left, left a review for this place i think i might have i'm not sure but we then have a place over Paradise Island called Nobu, which is a gourmet sushi place that I've actually never been to before. And it's more of a Japanese restaurant than necessarily sushi, but this is ranked higher. So 
maybe my next sushi place might be here. But the place that I've been to the most and that I've tried the most sushi from and also uh, left a review for and a lot of pictures for is Seafront Sushi, which it, I'm not really surprised that it's giving me 100% match rate. So, yeah, it even says, like, I visited there six days ago when I took these screenshots, which necessarily wasn't today, but it was this week. So I was there recently. So information like this is great to have because then it gives you an idea of where all you want to be going to. So here's another example, and I'm going to go past this. I clicked onto Social House's information to find out exactly why and how they give these things so not only does it give me the match information it also gives me information about why so the reason why they even matched me this high with them is because uh it's similar to seafront sushi and twisted lime places i've both been to from time to time twisted lime more for drinks because their food is pretty crap um it also says that I can actually take steps to improve my matches by rating a few places and editing my food and drink preferences. So I can actually do that. And actually, I will do that right now on stream just to see what happens. So I am going to go to romantic, romantic restaurants and Blue Sail Bar and Grill comes up, which is actually my family, my uh, uncle-in-law's restaurant. Which, kind of surprisingly, I have a question mark too. It doesn't actually have a match for me, even though I've been there once before. I visited eight months ago, which was, granted, not for the best reasons, but it was still there. So, I click it, and because this is a question mark, it says and I can unlock these matches if I rate a few more places and edit preferences. So, I wanted to edit my preferences anyway. So... It then takes me to this food and drink preferences uh, suggestions hamburgers italian japanese pizza seafood sushi family friendly notable coffee were all ups notable wines live performances notable desserts and organic foods are down for whatever reason and i can add interested or not interested to these kinds of things i click add then a bunch of stuff the popular section comes up hey there mad swag welcome to the stream and everything from american food to breakfast to cajun to french to hot dogs to jamaican food to korean barbecue comes up and e they even have other ones like afghan african argentinian beef rice bowls brazilian crab dim sum uh gyros great views indian curry juice bars a lot of other options come up to say that i'm interested in these things or i'm not and this would enhance or decrease my performance well my match rating with these places which i think is awesome so essentially you don't really have to use yelp anymore for starters um if you're in places that actually do use yelp i don't have to look at TripAdvisor reviews that much anymore because while google is almost the de facto place for people to go and look up stuff and a lot of people leave reviews on google nowadays compared to just yelp or TripAdvisor. i mean granted you can always 
like go there and find better um well sometimes more information about a place i should say and sometimes even through bookings that google doesn't so that's it's it's getting better as time goes on and so i think that's that's the key and important part of it right there so i've been talking for roughly an hour now and i'm pretty sure you guys are probably bored of my voice uh, just joking i know i'm i'm not self-depreciating here but i would like to thank everyone that has actually come on the stream today um i would like to thank everyone for being a part of the conversation so again back to horizon i see pandora eclipse viewer thank you for following it's great to see some return viewers as well uh like juan and uh Omega and even a new face even though I have a feeling you've been watching before Ashley uh, so thank you everyone for actually being a part of this and we will have an episode coming up shortly it's already been recorded it's an interview with a company that's in Grand Bahama now it's a company that believes that Grand Bahama is going to become a tech a silicon island and it kind of goes hand in hand with what the current government wants as a grand bomb become a tech hub for the caribbean and west indies so keep an eye on that there's actually quite some surprising comments that he's making about both about what's happening there the government and how we can actually make this tech hub thing happen i'll see you guys on the next episode this is michael Armagan. take care